This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. How are you all doing this morning? You okay? If it's your first time here with us at ABC, we give you a really, really warm uh, welcome. It's a particularly warm welcome this morning in the house, isn't it? I don't know, we need air conditioning or something, I think. Do you remember last time we were together, we... Uh, discuss this subject about the power of asking. And thanks a lot of you for some emails and texts that I've been having over the last month or so. A lot of you are doing a lot more asking, asking God for certain things. But remember, when we were together last, we talked about some of the most famous words that are in the world, those that translate in several different languages. And the most popular word in the world is the word... That's the most popular sound, but the most popular word in the world was taxi. In whatever continent you go to, the word taxi is the most translatable word that you can just go, taxi! Wherever you find yourself in Bangladesh, Bangalore, Brinaman, or Bangor, you can call for a taxi. But the most universal sound in the world is... U-H. We also talked about some favor- famous ask phrases. Do you remember them? Ask not what your country can do for you, but... From John F. Kennedy. And Oliver Twist, his famous ask, which was, Please, sir, may I have some more? This month, as we celebrate the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther, who on the 31st of October, 1517, nailed his 45 thesis to the door of the church uh, there and asked the questions that he did of the church in Rome. He asked for this academic disputation that he wanted, and uh, as we know from history, it never happened. And we are here today, as Ian spoke to us last week, and remind us that we are here today because of that work that happened all the way back in 1517. And as Shakespeare penned for Hamlet that question, which is, to be or not to be, that is the question. We learned that if we don't ask, we don't get. So the text this morning that I want to turn to again can be found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. To turn with me on your Bible, leather, cardboard, electronic or otherwise, the words here are on the screen where it was in the same scripture again where Jesus teaches us from the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew 7, verse 7, he says this. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you don't ask, you don't get. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege of reading it today. 
We thank you for the people over time that have translated it for us, that have protected it for us, that have printed it for us, and have brought it to us today that we could discover more about the God who loves us and has a plan for our lives. So Lord, so as we open your word, Lord, give us ears to hear, give us heads to understand, give us hearts to listen, Lord, and feed our souls today, transform our lives, we ask by the power of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. The power of asking, because if you don't ask, you don't get. We talked last time about the power of asking God. And we talked about how the royal law uh, is divided up into two parts, one commandment and two parts, where Jesus Christ teaches us, as he's come in the new covenant, he says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And there's two dimensions of our life. It's not coming through. And there's two dimensions to our life, which is this asking God and getting our relationship right with God, but also our relationship with one another, that we ask each other. We talked about asking God about different people that were asking Jesus and asking God of so many different things. People like blind Bartimaeus who declared, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's a big ask. People like the leper that came to him and he says, if you will, he says to Jesus, you can make me clean. People like the Roman centurion, the father of Jairus, even the thief on the cross asks Jesus in his last moments, he says, will you remember me? when you come into paradise. If you don't ask, you don't get. <coughs> so today, I want to look at this principle, not just looking at the vertical aspect of asking, but I want us to focus in and look at three things that the scripture has to teach us today about the horizontal aspect of asking. The things that we ask one another. The things that I ask you, and the things that you ask me. We're going to look at the asking in three dimensions. The me ask, the she ask, the he ask, and the we ask. We're going to look at this area, which is the me ask, which is what will people ask of me? The she, he ask, which is what will I ask of you? And the things that we ask together as we do life. The first ask that I want to share with you today is the ask of commitment. The ask of commitment. Because it goes without saying that we need to be committed to God, don't we? That we love the Lord our God with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might. But the royal law, that great commandment, tasks each and every one of us that we also love each other in the same way. And that takes commitment. In fact, lots of us commit to each other on a daily basis in life, don't we? How many of you already made the commitment of marriage to one another? What do we say? I call upon these persons here present to witness that I... Hey, Barry and Melissa are in the house today. Big warm welcome to Melissa. And you've got it coming next year. You are going to stand publicly and before God next year as you make a promise to each other as husband and wife 
to take one another and commit to each other. Won't they? That's what they'll be doing. We pray for them, and we pray that God will bless them in their lives together. But that commitment has conditions, doesn't it? We say, for better, for? For richer, for? In sickness and in? Till death us do part. Those are the commitments that we make to one another. The ask of marriage is a commitment that we make to one another. The ask of covenants and agreements that we make. How many of you got a mortgage? I've still got a mortgage. Hands up, come on, those of you who got a mortgage. Okay, hands up, those of you who got a big mortgage. Yeah. As we take out mortgages or loans, we enter into a commitment with a lender, don't we? We all have to sign a piece of paperwork that we're saying that we're going to meet those monthly payments for the big lump of cash that they're going to give us up front so we can go and buy a house or buy a car or do the things that we want to. So we commit to one another, and we might be an organization, but the, the whole thing with loans and covenants, it's a commitment predominantly to a person originally, and as we formed corporations, um, it's still a commitment to people. You see, if you commit to pay a corporation, it's the corporation is owned by shareholders. And those shareholders are all joint owners of those uh, debts and obligations that the company has. So this commitment that we make is actually to each other and to society in terms of how we do life together. And those of you that have decided to make ABC here your home, you have committed and entered into covenant that we will agree and that we will commit to doing some things together. That we will love and care for each other. That we'll, we are committed to pray, support, and serve the mission of our church here together. And that fivefold commitment that we make as partners here in the church, the commitment of praying for one another, the commitment of giving to the church so that its, its vision can be fulfilled, the covenant of fellowship together, those of you, I know there's a few people that's uh, started and attending small group at the beginning of this term, and I'm hearing good things uh, already. That commitment that you make every other uh, week to meet together is a huge covenant commitment that you make to one another so that you can grow in God and grow together. The commitment of serving in the house here. The commitment of stepping up in so many different areas based on the way God has gifted you to serve in so many different ways and crucially the commitment to use the spiritual gifts that we have and that you have and that I have and that we use them they're not for us if you can play piano it's not for yourself if you can play piano it's a gift to the world that we can use it and make a difference in the life of others and all the gifts that we've got are sent from heaven above so that we can help one another so can I ask you how committed are you to me and how committed am I to you because that's the ask that's the ask that's incumbent upon us as believers when we come to faith in Christ that we love the Lord our God with all our heart with all our soul with all our strength and with all our might and that we love our neighbor as ourselves or as Jesus says when he's talking about that chap, that, those couple of verses in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 12 there, where he talks about asking, that we do unto others as we would have others do unto us. You know, the word 
come, commitment. The word come comes from the Latin root word come, C-U-N, and come means with. That's where we get the words communication, the word commitment, the word community. All, every word that starts with com finds its word root in the Latin of doing something with. Are we in communion with one another? Are we committed to each one another? Are we doing the with part what, of what the Bible asks us to do? Listen to these words from Paul. When he talks about, in Romans 12, verse 9, he talks about love in action and what it looks like. But just pick some things out with me from the scripture as we read it together. He says this in verse 9, Love must be sincere. Hate what's evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I remember as I was studying these passages of Scripture some years ago in my personal devotion, I found it hard to reconcile why Paul was talking about the way we treat one another. And yet in the middle of that Scripture, in verse 11 there, pop it up on screen again for me if the team would. He says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your favor serving the Lord. And then he goes on to talk about the way that we treat one another and love one another and honor one another and devote to one another. And I was trying to work out why in the middle of all of this does God talk about, does Paul teach about the way we treat one another and then shoots off for a minute and talks about serving God and then talks about the way we behave towards one another until I realized it just mirrors the great commandment, doesn't it? It mirrors the great commission, is that it's one command. It is actually one and the same. It's us that sometimes splits things up and says that, well, well, I'm serving God, I'm doing this for God, and I'm doing this for you. No, when I do this for you, or when you do that for me, that is the same process as serving God. Some people that say, you know, out of obligation something, you know, because you can serve the church and you can serve God out of passion or obligation. You can serve God out of the faith that you have in your life, knowing that God has called you to do something, or you can serve out of obligation. And the difference is quite simple. You see, one is supposed to be a pleasure, but if you serve out of obligation, it'll always be a chore to do. Oh, I've got to go down and hoover the church. Or, oh, I've got to go and prepare a message. Or, oh, I've got to put this together. Do you know, if our hearts are that way inclined, we really need to question where we're at. I do enough. You know, do I really do enough? I do enough for him. Or, I do enough for the church. Or, I do enough. Do we use phraseology like I do enough? There's nothing I can do that's enough. There's nothing I can do when he gave me his all. He gave me his life, his sacrifice. There's never enough that I can give to be able to pay back for what he did for me. So let's serve and devote to one another. And that's where the sincerity comes from. Let's read it again when Paul says, Love must be sincere. Cling to what is good. Devote to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. That's the commitment. 
that we make to God. The commitment is you go first. You go first. I'll go last. So the ask of commitment. But secondly, the ask of companionship. The Latin word come, again, with a companion. Somebody that we are doing life with. Can I ask you today, who's your companion? Who's your soulmate? Who's the person that you've got that's really close to you? Companionship is a powerful part of the human experience, is it not? Come on, help me out. Because Morecambe had... Indeed. Little had... <laughs> There's always one. Bonnie and... Romeo and... Come on in, help me with some Bible characters. Moses and... Come on, think about it. Moses and Aaron or Joshua. Yeah, you can go for that. David and... I knew you were going to go. I knew that would catch you out. Should we try that again? David and... Jonathan was his companion, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Goliath wasn't his companion. Peter and... Peter and John, who shouted that out? And there's a couple here. Look, look how his ministry changes, how he changes. Let's see the real theologians amongst us before uh, Ian will come up and list all 16 for us in a moment. <laughs> Paul and... Silas? Kikwe? Barnabas? Jenny's naming all of them. Ian hasn't said one yet. But Ian will come to us and will tell us what the other... 13 are at the end of church over coffee this evening, uh, later on today. You see, the Bible is showing to us that people built relationships and committed to one another in companionship. And the companionship is one that's rooted in love. The one that's rooted in what Jesus is teaching us there in the scripture where he says, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And can I just say something to you here right now? Part of the challenge of Christian living is learning to live in the upside-up world. You see, because the world is turned upside-down right now. And the world has been turned upside-down by the curse of sin. You see, what has happened through the curse of sin is it's not a God-first mindset. It's a me-first mindset. That's how we live. And so the problem is, when we come to faith in Christ, God is turning us right side up again, and we have to learn a whole pile of new ways to win. That Jesus says that when we are weak, it's then that we are... Doesn't make sense, does it? Doesn't make sense that Jesus says, blessed are the poor, because there we become rich through him. It's all upside down. He says, if you want to be first, the way to get there is to learn to be. It's weird, isn't it? The whole world is upside down. And so the world is still polluted. And even in Christian living, in the way that we do relationship and the way we do companionship, the world is still messed up and upside down. You see, because the world says right now is, I will love you if what? If you love me. Well, God's upside-down, upside-up world teaches us that I will love you if you hate me. 
Call me all you want. You want to become my enemy? I will love my enemy. In fact, more than that, I will pray for my enemy. He is making me the target, but I will pray for them in love. Another little lie, because that one's popular in church, isn't it? But the other little lie on respect. Respect is... Is it? Respect is not earned, is it? Respect is given. Am I only going to respect someone because they respect me? I mean, if I'm on the tube and in London and there's a lady that comes in and needs a seat or anybody else for that matter, am I going to only respect them based on their respect for me or am I going to get up regardless and just offer them the seat because it's the right thing to do? Respect is not earned. Respect is given. Do we only give people our loyalty to them if they are loyal to us? No. We will give them our loyalty regardless of their loyalty to us. We will love. We will respect. We will honor one another above ourselves regardless of how you choose to honor <laughs> me. And if we could only understand that, that's what the passion of the Christ is all about. And I'm referring to the passion, I'm talking about the crucifixion of Christ. When you read the scripture, he takes every blow. He takes every swipe and stripe. And we romantically look at it sometimes and we say, oh, he was bruised for our transgressions. Uh, sorry, he was bruised for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed. Iniquities, I can't remember. I've gone blank now with that verse. It'll come back to me in a second from Isaiah. He was wounded. Thank you, mother. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, says the prophet Isaiah. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now, how did he accept it all? Kicking and fighting with disdain? No. The Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet teaches us that he came as a, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. And I don't get it. I just don't get the level of grace that there on the cross. He's thinking of us. He's thinking of us and the way he thinks about us is by making a visible declaration in words. Two incidences on the cross that I still can't fathom. Because I tell you what, you know that song we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels. I've got to admit, I would have called the 10,000 angels. If I was suffering there, the last thing I would, that would probably be on my lips is, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The last words on my lips would probably have been, today will you be with me in paradise? Because I'd be maybe angry and self-righteous, caught up in my own suffering. How dare them crucify and persecute me? I have done no wrong to deserve this. But Jesus did unto others. Jesus treated others the way he wanted to be treated himself. Do we do companionship like that together as a church? That we love one another, that we respect one another, that we are loyal to one another, regardless of the way others treat us. Commitment. Companionship. If you don't ask, you don't get. And the last 
that I'll close with. The ask of compassion. Do you know, the longer I'm on the face of the earth, the more I learn about God and the more I learn about myself and uh, my own shortcomings, the more convinced I am that compassion, that dimension of love is probably the most powerful, effective weapon that we have to be able to destroy the works of the enemy. Compassion. That simple picture that's given us from Luke's Gospel where Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan. Can we get that verse up on screen? Lean from, Lee from Luke's Gospel. Where <coughs> Jesus talks about this principle of compassion. And he says, the Samaritan travels by. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. See the word again? Come with. Compassion. The word passion comes from the Latin word patiens. And patiens is where we also get the word patient. Come patience or compassion, that's where it comes from. And it's this commitment that two people make together. And the thing about this, this interesting word, the interesting thought around this word patient is you can't be a patient by yourself. There must be somebody caring for you for you to become a patient. Otherwise, you're just suffering. Otherwise, you're just a victim. And so what happens in this scripture, because he takes pity on him, does the good Samaritan. The, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the man that was on his way from, uh, to Jericho, when he gets beat up in this situation and he gets abused so badly, he turns at this point from being a victim to being a patient. That's compassion. That's the essence of the word compassion. It's the with in the middle of the suffering. To suffer with someone. He took pity on him. And the challenge that challenges me here in the area of compassion is the world's system has us in the same way, because it's upside down, not upside up, to make the compassion selective. <coughs> and I do it, I'm so guilty of doing it, of judging people when, this, when they are in the particular circumstance that they, have, that they are in. You know, because if somebody that's got plenty of money loses out on something, if a footballer loses his job or, or goes on hard times because he's got all his fast cars and everything, we tend to be at certain times lacking in compassion towards them, don't we? Don't we? Or is it just me that thinks like that sometimes? Then we think, well, maybe he has his comeuppance. Maybe he has his just desserts for living the lifestyle that he's had. It's nice to see him being taken down a notch or two. Do we think that sometimes? Or when we have had a particular type of boss or where we've had these kind of things going on where there's different kinds of people in our lives that sometimes we like it when the mighty fall. Sometimes we like it when someone has, has fallen on hard times because of their situations. But God challenges us to have compassion on each person. You see, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was very wealthy. 
And in the scripture, we see that he's parked up in the sycamore tree and Jesus walks by. And in the same way, Jesus has compassion over him and says, I'm coming to your house for tea. Because do you know the wealthy and the people that seem that have it together? Do you know what? They sometimes sleep on the pillow with the worries of life on them too. Despite all of the trappings that they have so often. Trust me, in my work that I do in business, sometimes turning around some people that sometimes seem to have it all together when you look at it from the outside. It's amazing how often that they turn to me because they know my belief and they know my faith in, in Christ. That they turn to me and you know what? What is on the outside is amazing isn't what is on the inside so often. Can we be like Jesus to love unconditionally? That we give loyalty unconditionally, <coughs> but also that we give compassion unconditionally? <sighs> That's a big ask. And in this area in my life, I've really been challenged on how great is my compassion. We're talking about compassion next Sunday, and we will be looking at issues that face the world in so many different aspects. But you know, my prayer more recently has been to pray for people that are the richest people in the world. And my prayer has changed as I have had compassion over them. My prayer has changed just in the last six months that I've been saying, God, if you could save Mark Zuckerberg, how unbelievable would that be? Mark Zuckerberg is the founder of Facebook. That is probably one of the most incredible social media revolutions that's ever been on the face of this planet, probably akin to Gutenberg's printing press. Imagine if God saved Mark. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, just me thinks that that would be cool. Think of the billions and dollars that he could give to good things. Think of how our privacy laws would all change as he believes that they should become all more, a bit more ethical than what they are. Wouldn't that be cool? That it wouldn't be so in your face in the way that it does, so it wouldn't be money-led, so that it would be God-centered. Will you join me in praying for Mark Zuckerberg? Amen? But we don't think like that. Because for me, in the journey that I've been on, my compassion didn't extend that far. But can I have a heart of compassion in the commitment to you, but in the commitment to we, to every other person that walks on the face of this planet with me, that I can, with Christ, have pity on all of them too, whatever the circumstances, wherever they find themselves in? Will we ask each other? Will we ask each other in that way? And will we ask of ourselves? This week, I had the privilege of uh, going and uh, collecting Pat's new Patmobile. Brilliant. She's calling it. As for, th for those of you who are uh, unaware, uh, Pat at our church, who's uh, wheelchair-bound and um, has had polio from a very young age um, and is now no able, not able to, in the latter years of her life, can't walk with crutches anymore, is wheelchair-bound. Um, so nothing works from the waist down. And uh, as those of us know, she's lost her primary carer and her husband and a huge man of God that John Hannigan was, and it's all so sad. And I've already thanked so many of you for the way all of you have made the commitment and have been compassionate and have been a companion to her in recent months. I love our church and how it reaches out. And this week, uh, I had the privilege of 
I happened to be in London on a trip, so I didn't go to London specifically. I just happened to be in London. I said, look, I'll go and pick up the car from Sittingbourne, and I travelled back. But do you know what? If you don't ask, you don't get. So I found myself with Terry, who was the car dealer that was selling the car. <coughs> and I couldn't resist it. I couldn't resist it because he asked about Pat, and I said it's all very tragic circumstances, and I could tell that he was compassionate in the moment. And I've got to tell you, church, I couldn't resist it because 250 pounds means a lot to Pat, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So I asked. I said, hey, Terry. I said, I like round numbers. I said, I noticed the car, you, you know, ends in 575, you know, that 575. Could you just call it 500 pounds? Would you consider giving her a 275 pounds discount so she can maybe just fill a tank a couple of times with petrol and get some insurance? Do you know what he said? He said, yeah, sure thing. And he knocked 275 pounds off the car. The reason I say that to you is once again to drive home the thoughts that we should have towards one another and towards God, if you don't ask, you don't get. There's a blessing that's waiting for each and every one of us if we just pluck up the courage <coughs> to ask. <coughs> that we would ask big things of one another. That we would ask big things of God. For he promises if we ask him for fish, will he give us a serpent? If we ask him for bread, will he give us a stone? How much more does God love us in that he will give us all that we ask according to his will? God bless you. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.